Park Free Minute, where we'll discuss in the second Jurassic Park sequel one minute at a time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And today we're here to finish out the week with Minute 69, Jurassic Park Free. Before we get to that, David, um, we reported on uh, August edition of Jurassic Minutes uh, about The Legend of Isla Nublar, the Lego sh- uh, short series that was coming out, or about to come out. I didn't notice it no, at the time, but uh, it had already started airing here in Australia, and we've just passed, I think, uh, episode four's just gone up. Um, I'm not going to, I won't spoil anything because I think it's just about to hit the US on Nickelodeon and um, we will mm-hmm. do a bit of a recap on it when we do uh, September's issue of uh, Jurassic Minutes. But I, there's some neat little Easter eggs in there. I think episode two, it picks up a little bit after the first episode and it's it comes up with a time date, June 11th, 2012, which would be the, uh, the release dates of the previous Jurassic Park film. And The Lost World was too, wasn't it? Or was it May? May 25th. Oh, yeah, The Lost World was May. Yeah, yeah. So it was just interesting that they picked that date to, to start uh, some of the episodes in, whether it's just a callback to the original Jurassic Park release date or what. But there's sort of some interesting things in there too. It, it sort of strongly implies that Nedry didn't die <laughs> in 93. There's, they come across an old uh, Gulfstream RV out in the uh, jungle full of Jurassic Park paraphernalia cups and videotapes and everything else, and that becomes sort of the uh, the search that uh, young young Dennis's nephew or cousin, whoever it is, that goes on trying to find some videotape. Mm-hmm. One question I was going to ask you, and I can't recall if it was the the Jurassic Park TV series that never come to be, the cartoon, or if it was the comic run um bison it ends at the at the end of the series or whatever we get the revelation that bison have got their own park open does the name lizard land mean anything to you is that what they called it mm, i don't know the name is not familiar to me at all I'm, okay. I, in fact the episodes in general still have yet to actually air in the u.s i think they're up on youtube now but i don't think that i've uh actually seen them air on Nickelodeon yet. Hmm. No, because I was just wondering, like, is the young the young Nedry uh, nephew, whatever it is, is um, mm-hmm. is sort of, it sounds like he's obsessed about opening his own park and calling it Lizardland, which I just thought that was the name Bison called their park in the original Jurassic Park cartoon or comic, but... Mm, I never read the comic, but I don't think it was ever mentioned in, like, the books or anything. Yeah, he, he had an idea to set up like a hunting preserve, but I don't think that they ever had the they ever actually gave it a name. I think it was just an idea that Dodson had tossed out to like one of his colleagues. Yeah, yeah, all right. But there are there are some little Easter eggs sort of through the first couple of episodes I've watched, and um, it'll be interesting to see how the series progresses. Apparently, Doctor Grant was in the. Uh, was in the trailer for it, but he hasn't appeared yet. His hat does. It's uh, Masrani wants most of the stuff they find in that trailer to be put on display in the Innovation Centre, and one of that is uh, a mouldy Grant's hat. So it's, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's something, something mean, interesting. It was it was left there right on the middle of the main road. So I mean, it's not like it's not like it's impossible to, for it to. It's not like it burned or anything. I mean, it did eventually, but <laughs> well. Yeah. I think it would have been well rotten away by then if the animals hadn't got to it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Australia hats are incredibly versatile. There's hats from the 1800s that have survived today, kept in like uh, optimal conditions. I suppose you call them. 
Yep. So I mean, I don't. I mean, moldy. Yes, definitely. I could see it being moldy, but I don't think it'd be completely disintegrated. Mm. I mean, the mm. actual head itself is still round. You know, <laughs> the one that they used to film. It's in somebody's private collection. Yeah. Yep. But we'll um, I'll I'll have a look through to, to rewatch the episodes and uh, and do a bit of write up on it so we can recap when we do uh, next episode of Jurassic Minutes. All right. I remember that on InGen's list because it wasn't on their list, and that makes you wonder what else they were up to. All right. Before we get to sixty nine, um, we hadn't been well looking over at Jurassic-Pedia.com, We hadn't been looking at the site when we started the podcast, so. Um, I thought it was fitting, since we do get another appearance of Nash here, in part, <laughs> that uh, we have a look at the Nash entry, entry on Jurassic-Pedia, and uh, a bit of a write-up on the Mercer himself, who helped Paul and Amanda get to uh, Issel Nubler and try and find Eric. Unfortunately, he was not long to be. Yeah, this was uh, basically one of your more basic kind of write-ups. Nothing really so spectacular about it. I mean, it's good. It's good recap basically for the character especially if you're doing any kind of like writing or anything on the character it's wouldn't hurt to check it out yeah it's also great just yeah a little play-by-play of what his actual role was uh how he helped out what what happened and um especially importantly for this uh minute that um he had paul's satellite phone in his pocket yeah he uh must have had it when he got <laughs> Interesting here too that, you, that they uh, mentioned that um, he was carrying a Heckler and Colt SL8 and the uh, Mossberg 500 cruiser weapons, uh, neither of which we see here when we uh, start digging around in these uh, big piles. Which I wonder if the weapons would still be capable of being used. I know I think one of them got bent or broken when it was on his back when he got stood on, but. Mm. If he had something in a side holster and that, it might have survived. But their uh, their only focus coming up is that satellite phone, nothing else. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is is that uh, metal actually can. I think the human stomach, the acid in the human stomach can me- can actually melt like a cubic inch of steel in like an hour or so. I or so I read. Oh wow. Which, frankly, there. I mean, bone. I know that is common to have been found in Tyrannosaurus, but they find like whole bones in this mess here. Oh, we'll get to along it. With, <laughs> along with like plastic sunglasses, and, and I mean, yeah, like you said, we'll get to it. I mean, there's just <laughs> a lot of oddball things that survived mm. in the stomach. Yep. But uh, head over to Jurassic-Pedia and check out this uh, this article and many more for our characters that we've lost early. Cooper as well has got one. And I think there's one for there's a one for the beach the beachcraft as well the plane isn't there I'm pretty sure there is mm-hmm. yeah so yeah head over and check all them out well, you'd be surprised what people can do when they when they have to I just want to say if you ever need help with anything sometimes you forget to ask so you can call me anything anytime all right uh, ready to get into sixty nine yep. As we went on minute 68 of Jurassic Park 3, Paul had cut the boat motor, and we could hear the familiar sound of Kirby Paint and Tower Plus on the satellite phone. They'd found a clearing with some steaming dinosaur crap in it, and everyone left from the boat to try and find the phone before it stopped ringing. As we opened on minute 69, 
as Eric looks over cautiously. The three adults each find a pile of their own and start digging into it elbow deep. At the seven second mark, Grant finds a man's watch and throws it aside. Paul finds a human femur and Amanda finds a pair of sunglasses. At the 14 second mark, Amanda says she's got it and pulls a satellite phone out of the big pile of dung. Grant wipes it off and hits the answer button and holds the phone to his ear. Ew. A recorded timeshare telemarketer message plays over the phone and the three adults stare at the receiver in shock as the sound of the call echoes through the clearing. At the 29 second mark we cut back to Eric on the boat as he sees something approaching and yells to the others, look out. The camera pans up from the three adults to see a Stratosaurus slowly lumbering into the clearing. The three adults stay absolutely still, still crouched behind a big pile of dung. The large animal lowers its head and sniffs a couple of times before recoiling, not wanting to go anywhere near the stench of the area. At the 42 second mark, it growls and turns and slowly lumbers back in the direction that it came. The very adults just stay there, realising now too that they really smell and the crap's got everywhere. At the 48 second mark, we cut to a CG shot high above the river as rain falls hard and lightning flashes in the background. The storm's definitely here. As we cut to the boat, Paul tells Grant to turn the power off and that they've got maybe enough juice for one more call. But whatever they do, don't try and ring the US Embassy in Costa Rica. They won't do a damn thing. And as we end minute 69, Eric yells out, maybe a little bit too loud, hey guys, come have a look at this. Everyone apart from Eric has leapt out of the boat at this point and... Uh, it gently stops on the riverbank. Luckily, the currents takes it there, not elsewhere. Otherwise, they may have been left behind, which would have been one of those little Spielberg kinks. Not only is uh, Grant and crew trying to find the phone, but now Eric's left on the boat that's slowly drifting <laughs> further away. Just uh, that Spielberg uh, thing of having one one issue go into another, into another, and not really having the best of luck at times. But Paul and Grant sort of hunch over as they move back and forth between the uh, piles, trying to pick up the sound, which one's um, which one's making the noise. And Paul sort of moves towards one, says it's here, and we get a quick cut back to the boat as Eric looks around for any signs of danger, which, okay, yes, the Spinosaur's not here as the phone's making this noise, but it could be attracting anything else to this area. And as we'll see a little bit later, it does. But, uh, but we cut back to Paul as he sort of goes elbow deep <laughs> into one of the large piles. And oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's sort of funny that um, not Maldon, but Malcolm uh, sort of brings it up with uh, Ellie, how she's tenacious at going in. But herbivore poo dung doesn't really smell as bad as what I'd imagine carnivore, especially a big carnivore mm. like this. Yeah, carnivore, I think I remember that was noted by Sarah Harding in the novel that carnivore spore is a lot heavier scented than herbivore spore. And um, is, she notes that the herbivores on Sorna have a particular stink about them that they really normally wouldn't have. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll liken it to... Uh... A couple of years ago, a circus come through town, and we went. Went. Mm -hmm. um, you could get a photo next to the line, one of the big lines they had. They'd bring it out and sit it beside you, and you could take a photo, or they'd take a photo and then uh, walk it back out again. And just the smell of um, 
like the smell of decay on this line, eating meat and everything else. I can only imagine what uh, the other end would smell like when it when it went number twos. But and especially since we know it just had a human in there, which um, you hear a lot of stories about from forensic coroners and all that sort of stuff. The human body doesn't smell real good when it's decomposing. Mm-hmm. But we cut over to Grant as he's also arms deep in his own pile of poop and. He uh, pulls something out, which appears to be a men's watch. Yeah, I mean, the men's watch actually would probably, along with the bone, be the one of the things that would be most likely to survive the de- the digestion process, because just because it's metal, you know? Well, yeah, and that goes into a series here where random items are pulled out. Paul pulls out what looks like a femur from his own pile. And America's uh, America. Amanda sort of found her own pole and is digging through it and finds that pair of uh, sunglasses that he had. Which, yeah. It, uh, I mean, you, you can melt sunglasses with a magnifying glass on a hot day. I mean, I really, really do not see that surviving digestion. Yeah, yeah. So it's been it's been a day overnight. So it's been probably a day and a half. I know the human body sort of digestions about eight hours. I don't know what a spinosaur is. I'm not a uh, paleo veterinarian. Zia might know, but it. Um, I couldn't imagine it being that long, especially something like a human. Um, it depends mm. what else what else the spinosaur has eaten as well. Which there must be more, <laughs> since there's a lot of poo here. But the fact that it stripped the stripped the bones of its all its meat <laughs> and left just sort of some of the bigger bones and the uh, and the metallic bits here as well. Mm-hmm. And those wireframe glasses, so I'd really expect maybe the skull to be the last thing to survive, just how dense the bone is. Which would have been interesting if Amanda pulled out <laughs> pulled out another skull; it'd be the second <laughs> second one she'd seen on island. Well, they probably wouldn't squeal as much because it's Ben, or not Ben. Mm-hmm. So yeah, see, so yeah, it does raise a question: just how fast the animal's metabolism is, and how um, how how long it takes to digest the larger ob- objects. But um, but Grant keeps on searching his own pole, and we sort of get a grunt here of disgust, which is about time because they don't they don't they're not acting here like there's much of a smell coming from these piles. But um, let's just be fair here. I would be puking. Yeah. I would be absolutely disgusted. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably be going with both arms. I'd probably just one in and at least keep one arm fresh because you got no soap, so even cleaning it's going to be in the water <laughs> it's mm-hmm. going to be fun but but Amanda yells from the left that uh, yells from the left that she has it and um she pulls the phone out of the poop and hands it to Alan he sort of starts wiping it off a little bit but he doesn't wipe a hell of a lot off it and pretty much just swings the antenna up and pushes the button and pull, puts it up against his ear <laughs> which again you're you're bringing that phone covered or poop covered phone up to your face yeah um, they that's you. <laughs> and listening it, and he sort of says hello, but um, he can't hear anything. So then puts his phone to his ear and says hello again, which you know that's that's now on the side of his head. And we get something very interesting here. Uh, voiceover, hello, uh, enjoy a timeshare of beautiful. I just have to go down to the script because I know it's the. Oh, you two can um, own a timeshare in beautiful Guada. Guadalajara, yeah, yeah. which is in Mexico. Yeah, we enjoy a meal of one of our four-star restaurants, explore our coral reefs, or just walk to the beach, which 
you said Mexico. Is it on the coast of Mexico? I believe it is, yes. Okay. So they might have a coral reef there. But it, this is 2000, and this is a satellite phone. I don't know why, unless um, Paul's already tried to look at a timeshare or something, I don't know why you'd be getting spam calls on a satellite phone back then. You'd think... Because that'd be costing the uh, the company a lot of money to call these numbers, mm-hmm. especially back then. Yeah, I just checked. It is not on the <laughs> on the coast. It, it's like it's like it's like 150 miles from the coast. Wow. <laughs> I wonder if they just pulled a Spanish sounding name and okay, <laughs> you, you tried to make it think you're in Costa Rica or something, but. Mm. Well, we had this same this same issue with uh, San Juan Approach back at the early start of the film, yeah. thinking it was somewhere else, and that was just another name they they um, called the San Jose Airport International Airport. So, and uh, well, we also had that issue in the first film with um, San Jose, which is like in the very <laughs> center of Costa Rica, It's not anywhere near the coast. Yeah, good point. Good point. So I wonder if this was something recorded especially for the film or if it's just something they've taken. I'd, I'd imagine it's probably something for the film. Yeah. But it's sort of funny too as you get in this marketing call play. You can sort of, uh, we get a shot over at Eric because he can obviously hear it as well and affords a smile and uh, looks up to see something approaching, yells yell out. But we also get the look on Paul, Amanda and Grant's faces of just sheer disbelief and shock that all this issue, all this time, this phone's been ringing and it's just been a marketing call. It hasn't been, it hasn't been any any help or anything. But as I said, yeah, Eric yells, yells, look out and uh, enter the Ceratosaurus. Probably not on InGen's list. Did we confirm it was on their list or is this something else they've been working on in the background? Uh, I think it was something that. They, no, yeah, this one, the Stratosaurus was definitely one of the illegal clone species, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't mind the CG model here, too. Like, it's a completely CG creature. Mm-hmm. Got that horn on its nose. And sort of, it's got what I'd imagine the colours of the original Tyrannosaur as described in the novel. Sort of that more deeper red, red and blacks, instead of sort of what we come to see of a lot of animals uh, in the film so far, just the greys mm-hmm. and the greens. Well, interestingly, is that the color seems to come from a uh, the mini toy, the diecast figure from um, the first movie's yeah. toy line. Yeah. And the CGI model, I believe, was a modif- modified Tyrannosaurus. Like they just they just took the Tyrannosaurus model, shrunk it, and then warped the head. Mm-hmm. Which yeah it makes sense if they're um. They'd have to be doing this on a budget, especially with all the other costs that were getting blown out in that, with, mm-hmm. with shoots and that. So, for for what it is here in the film, I don't mind it. I'd, it would have been inter- interesting, uh, as we'll get to later. This was supposed to be a Carnotaurus here, not the Ceratosaurus. So, that would have been interesting if it had a larger scene in, involved. If it, um, if it sort of had that camouflage ability that we got from the novel, we don't know, unfortunately, but. I think that if it had been the Carnotaurus, more fans would have been dis, uh, dis uh, approving of it, just because I mean the the Carnotaurus is a very big fan favorite dinosaur from the novel, and I think that fans would have just felt that it was completely wasted. You know? Yeah, good point. Good point. 
And I wonder if um, if then, because it had been in this film, if we'd get it in Fallen Kingdom, which I still love the design of that animal in Fallen Kingdom. It looks, it looks beautiful. But uh, yeah, Sally walks forward, and Grant and the others sort of freeze in fear as the big animal stops by the first pile and lowers its head to smell it. And uh, it just pretty much suddenly snaps its head up and stares directly at the camera for a moment <laughs> before it <laughs> slowly turns and lumbers away, slower and louder than its uh, approach. So... Just like the uh, Tyrannosaur, it uh, has a habit of approaching quietly and then being loud as it leaves, but it knows it can smell it. <laughs> it knows this smell. Yeah. It knows trouble. Whether or not it can see, we don't know what the Ceratosaurus' visual acuity was like, if it was similar to T-Rex or if Grant um, theorises that it's similar, but the fact they're all just standing or kneeling still here behind one of the piles, whether or not it's seen it or whether it just got the smell and gone, I'm not dealing with this. It knows, <laughs> it knows what the Spinosaur is. It's probably come across its path before. and Which, you'd think if it was more fearful of the Spinosaur, it probably would leave a lot quicker. But I suppose it does just turn and lumber away. Mm, this it's, is more of a comedy moment for me than anything else, just because, I mean, the it's like Bugs Bunny almost in a way because he sniffs the cast... Then kind of looks straight at the camera and then walks up, walks off. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man, these guys smell. I ain't, I ain't yeah. dealing with this. <laughs> it, 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 it knows, it, yeah, like looking directly at the camera and going, yeah, you know what I can smell too. <laughs> yeah. But that's when we get the great shot of the three adults still kneeling down by the pile of poop and, and Grant just sort of looks dumbfounded. <laughs> and it's sort of, it's like now all of a sudden with the uh, the animal acknowledging how much this smells, they, they're also registering the smell as well, where before it was the, the nervousness and the, the rush of trying to find this phone, maybe maybe the smell hadn't registered, but um, Amanda seems to be the only one just to get the smell here, and she's got that sort of screwed up face, and we get Paul look down at his hands <laughs> as Fumba rumbles ahead, and he realises he's got it all over him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, would they not realize that, though? I mean, realistically, you can see it steaming. You you know that it's got a... You could smell that... Um, yeah. An animal, at least, could smell that a mile away. Yeah. Well, that's... that's yeah, maybe maybe we're downwind or something. Just the fact that the Stratosaurus got this close before it smelt it and didn't sort of give the whole area a wide berth. But it, um, we need to come in, come in close for this comedic bit and... I'll, mm. I'll just put it down to the fact that they need the phone to get off the island. It's their one shot of getting off the island, and they're sort of more focused on that than the surrounds and possibly the smell as well. But it sort of just all comes to a T here where all of a sudden, as it sort of walks away in disgust, it, it leaves them here to ponder the fact that, yeah, we do stink, and this, this does stink as well, and now we're covered in it. <laughs> but we cut to... Uh, we get a number of rumble of thumb as we cut to a high-up CG shot of the uh, boat moving down river through what seems like another smaller rocky canyon and the rain's absolutely he- hammering down which is a shame because downstream you can just make out the shape of the uh, the, sm- the submerged crane that we're going to see in a little bit and uh, <laughs> what we can only assume is the ruins of the harbour mm-hmm. I mean yeah you, I mean you get a really really good shot of it too and it's um, I mean you don't it's so split second that you almost don't see it right away mm. but yeah i mean you get to see all of these um just things laying there on the side on the opening of the uh 
cliff face because the cliff kind of just ends and then you get like this rocky beach lagoonish area. Yeah, yeah. As the sort of the river sort of widens, widens a lot here. Mm-hmm. It, I've, I've I've ran high def images through all sorts of filters and effect. Tried to, trying to clean it up and just trying to trying to see if there's anything else you can see, but unfortunately, you can't. It's sort of these next few minutes where we get the actors on the crane and that you can clearly see there's stuff behind on the banks of this river and mm-hmm. we know there's that one production shot that we can post up a bit later of the uh the sal engine salvage barge that's half submerged we get them all standing by it when paul makes his appearance back from the river later but there is stuff here everywhere and i can only assume it's it's also being filmed on the side of the uh the, the canyon set from the aviary mm-hmm. earlier uh, and that pool there but that's just a shame this this shot here is probably the best shot we get of everything that's laying around and it's it's a shame mm. we do get a uh, con- concept photo of the marina and this is kind of what gets the idea of the engine marina where we actually see through it, it must have been a lightning flash or something that they must have de- decided to light it up with but we get like one two three four four boats just half sunken in various positions around the lagoon and you get a dock next to the crane mm. and you can see the crane there but it looks like they didn't build it all it's you know, they just had the crane yeah and it's a shame because all that's in the novel um yeah when we get to it, it all that's described in the novel so whether it was something that was concept and maybe later cut down for time or issues or we know later minutes where we get that spinosaur in the water and um yes the the animatronic design that capability has come forward a long more a lot more since 97 where we can have the spinosaur in the water and that but still even when they're shooting those scenes they'd be mindful that this could all go to pear shape pretty quickly if mm-hmm. if we spring a leak or something so maybe maybe they just decide to pull the pull the the whole harbor set sort of back to uh, just what we see on the sides of the riverbank in case um, they weren't going to have a lot of time to film with the Spinosaur. But but still, I would have liked to have seen the dock and the boathouse that they have there, because that's something, like you said, from the second novel that we actually see in the novel is the dock and the boathouse. And something I really liked about it was just how describing the wood just quickly rotting so fast in, among the, um, the jungle and... I think Thorne uh, just basically put his weight against the locked door and broke through it. Yeah, from memory, I think the door's locked or there's chains around the door, and yeah, it just pushes on the door and it just all falls falls from the hinges. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I imagine sort of a, a wooden structure or a structure that had been built, um, in this case, eight years ago, and as that sort of wooden timber rots away and as the jungle grows back, that jungle's going to sort of take the shape as it grows up over the shed the shed or mm-hmm. the dock or the harbour and it'd get to the point where the wood would probably collapse into a pile and you'd still have the jungle growing in that in the shape of that that structure it grew over but it's a shame it's it sort of reminds me a lot of the um like the tennis courts and that from the novel as well where you got the vines growing up and pretty much just making a hedge like wall of foliage where the chain link fence was or was used to be mm-hmm. but uh, we cut the granny sort of cleaning the phone off in the rain and uh turns it off as per Paul's request, he yells over to Grant, over the sound of the heavy rain uh, falling, you probably have enough juice for one more call. So 
the phone's probably been ringing for a few, or it's been on for the last day and a half, and uh, cell phones back in the day, they didn't have real long battery life, and this is a satellite phone, so it's probably a good thing it's still got enough charge for one call. Mm-hmm. So we cut to Eric sitting near the front of the boat as he looks down into the water, and uh, we can hear Paul yelling still, whatever you do, don't call the US Embassy, they won't do a damn thing. And uh, <laughs> Eric yells back at him, hey guys, come have a look at this, and um, and that's when we sort of, we'll get next minute where all of a sudden the uh, river's quite easy to uh, to see the fish in. But um, I just thought I'd look, and this, this only covers Australia, so it's not going to be... Um, the Costa Rican US, or US Embassy down there, but I was just looking at how they assist Australians overseas anyway, and it's um, it's sort of interesting looking at what they aim to do, sort of dealing with um, inquiries, prompting... They're, the consular, um, they're limited by some of the circumstances, like they, they can't... They don't have the legal right to consider... or to get consular assistance if, if you're sort of in trouble, if it's anything legal... If you've uh, repeatedly or deliberately acted recklessness, <laughs> recklessly or neg- negligently, which if uh, if I went to a dinosaur-infested island knowingly, then that that might come under that one. But um, also, if you put yourself or others at risk of harm, so I just found it interesting. That's locally, you might be able to find some stuff on uh, your local uh, consular website as well. Just what they would and wouldn't do and. Paul's definitely right here. They they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't do wouldn't be able to do anything essentially. Mm-hmm. He also tried calling the U.S. Embassy and having them uh, having them help out with Mount Adventure to go to the island, and they basically told him no. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. From memory, it was face facts. <laughs> it's been eight weeks. It's time to face an interval. So mm-hmm. I just thought that was interesting to have a quick look at. Over in uh, script and novel comparisons, um, we get them following the poop much in the film, only it's described as being seven mounds, so there's a lot more in the script than what we get here. There might be some off off screen, and uh, as you're saying, there might be some sort of retreat somewhere the animal frequently goes to, but um, Paul, uh, Paul thinks he found it, but uh, founds, well, thinks he found the phone, but pulls out a, beep, a beeper, which we don't see a beeper on Nash, and I don't know why he'd, why he'd have one, unless it's... Uh, the mercenary be able to get contacted if uh, there's more jobs on, but Amanda yells, I got it, I got it, and Grant snatches the phone from her, pressing the button, puts it to his ear, so Grant's a little bit more forceful there, grabbing the phone from Amanda. Um, we get the same uh, voice of the uh, timeshare person. The Kirby's here to record voice and let out a collective heavy sigh. Grant sh- uh, shuts the phone off, and uh, in all the excitement, none of them knows the fierce horned t- Carnotaur they call it Carnotaur. No, right behind them, um, the giant creature roars, ready to eat them, but as it gets close, it smells them. Even a dinosaur won't eat something that's covered in shit. <laughs> after the after the, the beat, the uh, Carnotaur turns and walks away back into the jungle. And, uh, Paul says, I can't help but be a little offended, <laughs> which, again, <laughs> will just continue that uh, comedic beat on a little bit more as well. Yeah. Um, now, that line, I definitely would have kept in. Yeah. I, that is like a perfect kind of comedic line. <laughs> yeah, either that or or just Paul sort of looking at the others and, and just making the sniffing sound as it 
are we that bad or or is it that bad <laughs> or, <laughs> or something like that would have been it would have been fun just to again keep the scene sort of light but we cut to a clean phone and uh, as we see the battery symbol flashing on the screen Paul gets or tells Grant not to call the embassy so we don't in the film we don't see it because the rain's falling on the screen but in the script it sort of says we can see the uh, see that the battery symbol's flashing knowing that it's uh, nearly out of juice and we get a little bit extra dialogue from Grant. Well, I don't exactly have the Costa Rican phone book here, so it will have to be someone we know in the States, someone we can absolutely count on to send help. And Paul looks at Amanda and asks Stan. Uh, Amanda replies, I wouldn't trust Stan in a snowball, well, with a snowball and a blizzard. And I wonder if that was some sort of uh, Easter egg for Stan Winston. We do get uh, in the novel that Stan is Amanda's brother, I think it's Amanda's brother. <laughs> anyway, so they're thinking of calling someone else on uh, on mainland America, but um, we know Grant has someone in mind when we get there a little bit later. And uh, mm-hmm. while they're talking, that's when Eric noticed something in the river. Um, and then lastly, on the with the novel, on the barge, Alan has finished his um, shift sleeping on the barge, and now it's Paul's turn. The men, uh, Paul sort of, Took it, takes it naturally, being able to easily avoid the riverbanks as uh, Amanda and Eric sit by. So, in a novel here, um, it's a little bit. In, we get a little bit more of a shot here after they've left the uh, clearing behind. But this is where things get a little bit interesting. The barge rounds a bend and an abandoned dock area with a large crane and several sunken supply boats come into view. Suddenly, a familiar jingle pierces the darkness, muffled by unmistakable sound that comes from the jungle. That can only mean Kirby Paint and Tile Plus in Westgate. So the the, the poo's right pretty much at the dock here. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was interesting, and that's where um, Paul whispers my sat phone, and uh, Eric whispers back the Spinosaur. And they see the dung, the adults all jump into the water and swim for the bank, so the boat keeps on heading downstream uh, mm-hmm. with, everyone, with only Eric on board. But before I get too far away from it, as you were saying before, like here... A supply loading, or like a abandoned dock with a loading crane and several sunken supply boats, which I would have really loved to see that on screen. I mean, yeah, I mean that's the description of this concept art to a T. Yeah, and it also makes sense with what we we're talking earlier, just the the, the the construction of the aviary and all this sort of. From what we know, most of the supplies and that come to the island via ship. Um, even though so this film introduced the airstrip and possible cargo come that way as well, but it just builds the um, builds the mystery of sauna even more. Mm-hmm. Like for example, it kind of almost implies that the crane is used either for supply pickup or um, like construction. The way that it looks in the movie makes it look more construction. So it's almost like maybe in the movie that it was implied to be under construction and that's why we don't actually see it. Well, yeah, I'd always thought that the crane we do get here next minute is something that was there to construct the crane, to construct the uh, the dock. And it was either on some sort of floating platform on the river and has, has since sunk sunk to the bottom yeah. and sitting on the bottom. Or, because if it... If it was meant to be on the dock, it's sitting in the middle of the river here. Unless the docks, even if the dock sort of collapsed after the after the hurricane or the cyclone, and over years, um, I still don't see how the crane could get this far out from the bank if if it wasn't 
being used for construction and not just for loading offloading on the uh, on the dock itself and especially it's sort of not really it's not really a crane that you'd use for loading offloading ships and that it is more of a construction a construction type of crane too but then that that answers brings up a whole more questions we'll have to get to when we get later like just that that barge having engine salvage on it what what were they salvaging <laughs> what what was all that about if it was in, engine construction it'd make more sense but anyway back to the uh, back to the novel uh, after they find the phone they swim back to the boat and paul points out to the dock that they'd seen earlier and steers the barge towards it amanda begins fiercely scrubbing herself off and eric asks if she thinks that's a good idea and he thinks that um you could swim over and cover yourself eric sort of wonders if he should go over and put the, the poop on himself as well um because that way maybe the dinosaurs won't want to eat you and uh <laughs> Amanda's like, I'm not going to be stinking of this, and neither is my son or husband. <laughs> so she's uh, <laughs> she wants to get it off as fast as possible. Kind of reminds me of a um, Predator One kind of deal where uh, Dutch covers himself in mud so that the Predator's thermal readings can't find him. You know. Well, it does it does make sense, and even going back to the T-Rex P earlier, like having that as a weapon, defensive weapon. For everything apart from the spinosaur, would be would be something handy to have, um, mm-hmm. especially that more so being contained in a in a glass beaker, or not not being covered all over you. But here, yeah, I'd, if you could maybe put it in a cooler or something and carry it with you, and if you need be, because um, we sort of got something similar with uh, Jurassic World in that cutscene of Claire. Uh, painting herself all up in the dung as well, where Owen's just shaking his head and watching what she's doing, um, trying to hide a smell there too. So it, it is something that we get later on in the franchise as well. But mm-hmm. which thankfully was cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. <laughs> that, 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 that scene was very gross. Yeah, I mean, we we do not need any more poop scenes in this in this franchise. No, no. <laughs> Uh, but for finishing out on the uh, novel itself as well, um, or novelization, we don't get the uh, Costa Rican call, or don't call Costa Rica talk at all. Um, it just pretty much, they ask about calling Stan, and we find out that Stan is Paul's brother. There you go, Paul's brother. So um, they've got, they've, by the of they don't really have anyone else in the States that they could call that might be able to help out, um, which might lead to later why we get Grant calling Ellie and no one else. Yeah. But it also goes back to the start of the film too, where Ellie says, "If there's anything you need, I don't, I don't think when she told him that she was expecting him to be stuck on sauna, but it, um, it's going to come back and that call's going to happen next minute." Yep. Uh, Dave, that's sixty-nine. Anything else we want to discuss before we get heavy for the week? Yeah, I think we're good. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is Jurassic Minutes. .wordpress.com and you can find The Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys.
Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters. Nothing more and nothing less. Uh, are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on earth or heaven could get me on that island. You're desky. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Charlie, take the phone to mommy now! It's the, it's the dinosaur there! Okay.